grace to you and peace this day from God our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is uh, perhaps one of those Sundays where I'm glad I didn't select the readings. Because as we were reading from that chapter of Romans 13, it almost was written as if it was speaking directly to me after what we in North America and our country celebrate uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, let us not revel. Let us not overindulge. <laughs> and even in, in Matthew's gospel, the 24th chapter, it's uh, speaks words of wisdom, although I have to say this was not written for the North American context. These texts are being proclaimed around the globe. So even though we can kind of fit it in our Thanksgiving on this most lethargic of American weekends when it takes three days to recover from that turkey day, indeed these texts have been proclaimed around the globe. So this lazy weekend when people sleep in for what hopefully is four days in a row, it's the same Sunday that the church decides to defy the culture that we see around us and catapult us into this new church year, smacking us not with the beginning of Jesus, but the end. We start at the end and work backwards. It's a day of judgment and then a demand. It's the weekend that the liturgical calendar tells us to wake up Quit celebrating. It's time to get busy. Life as we know it will eventually end. Get up. The world that we experience will surely change. The world as we experience will surely change. The God that we think we know is about to become the God that we don't yet know and have never met. Yes, today is the first Sunday of Advent, the season moving us toward a God who will overrun our predictable world and who will shake up the world. And strange as it is, I think I might be prepared as I best I can for this season of Advent, the season of Advent when the world is supposed to slow down, right? I say that tongue-in-cheek because it almost seems that everything speeds up in this last month of the year that's not the way the season was intended. I'm ready to hear the stories and learn the lessons of this season which it has to teach us. Stories that we're not so good about, like waiting, how to be patient, how to repent, teachings about how to endure the dark nights of our soul when weights burden us down and the anxiety overwhelms us. Yes, I am ready to figure out how to be a faithful Christian at times when Jesus seems so far away and the world seems just about ready to follow apart. This text that we have this morning comes from the section of Matthew's Gospel that people have called the Little Apocalypse. It's a small snippet of text where Jesus is talking about the end times, the eschaton, the end of the world. He wrote about the end times, and the community in which he wrote to was growing weary. They were getting impatient of waiting for Jesus to return. They had lost the vision of God's rich and peaceable kingdom on earth because all they saw around them was destruction and warfare. And at the time of this writing, they had been waiting for about 80 years, and nothing had changed. That's three generations waiting for Jesus to come back. First, Jesus reminds us of the Old Testament, about Noah's time and how God had called people to seriously be ready 
be ready. And by the time they figured out what was happening, it was too late. <laughs> there was already a, 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 the first climate change, you might call it. The world was flooded. <laughs> like them, we too are relatively unconcerned about being ready for God's coming, and we go on living in business as usual, not being too concerned about the wickedness that is so rampant in our time. Many people point to the increase of natural disasters or the increasing exploitation of the poor and the natural world, the generous disregard for the law and ethics, our lack of faith as well as trust of one another. The times that we live in are probably not much different than the time of Noah when the earth was flooded and there was a new beginning to the established order. And the second illustration that Jesus uses is that of two people working together side by side and Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, one will be left and one will be taken. Whether working in the fields or in the mills, the text final example is of an unwary homeowner who should have made preparations to prevent a break-in. I think this season of Advent provides us an opportunity to reflect on preparations that we have made for our life. Do we have our house in order? Do we have our business secure? Are there a lot of loose ends left that I haven't yet figured out? That's a lot of stuff when you think about it. When you think about all the stuff and demands, what happens if I am not here tomorrow? Life will go on, but those that are left, will they be able to figure things out for me? Have we lived fully every day making the most of what we have been given? Not what we have, but what God has given us. Have we done the things that we should do? Have we passed on to the youth the important truths about our Christian faith, that there is another way, that the ways of the world are not the ways of people of faith? Have we given our children spiritual tools they need as they begin to wrestle with this world? You see, what I'm asking you to do is to ask the question of yourself once again, how do I pace Christ? How does Jesus fit into my life, and the, hopefully the center of my life? And perhaps in order to answer this question, we need to re-examine what it means to be a Christian. Maybe restudy, restudy Luther's catechism, talking about baptism and what receiving Holy Communion are all about. It's not just a bread and a wafer what that might mean when I eat the bread and the wafer and the drink. We might want to review what the Christian confessions and what the creeds are all about. They aren't just some nice saying that somebody created just two years ago. They've been around for thousands of years. They are more powerful than any single one of us. We might want to explore again what the ministry of the baptized is all about, the priesthood of believers and how this is not the pastor's gig pastor is just the hired hand. As we pursue our daily vocations and figure out what God has called us to do and to be in this world, it's deeper questions than just showing up for work. Each of our lives, we live in the shadow of an apocalypse, whether or not you realize it or not. The dark reality, the end of our lives and the end of the world's times, that is the warning that is put before us in Advent. But there is good news. There's also the promise that we 
need of the Advent season, and that is the promise that in the darkness, in the brokenness of the world, in the unpredictable anxiety of the things that we have left unfinished in life, God is present. God is present. God is in control, and God will come again. Because with each of these Advent candles that we will light here in just a few minutes after our worship, or at the end of our worship service, with each of these candles that we light, the light of the world gets just a little stronger and stronger and stronger. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome the light. The promise is that wherever there is darkness and dread in life, Wherever there is darkness and dread in the world around us, God is present to help us endure, to help us overcome. God is in charge, and therefore hope is alive. And as long as endless as the night may seem, the dawn will come. The dawn will come. It may not come in our time, but God's time is always good time, and God's good way. You know, as a pastor, I've talked with people who assure me they've committed their life and trusting that God will lead the way, but yet they can't sleep at night. In the back of my mind, I think these two statements are paradox. Somebody tells me that they think they trust God to lead the way, and still have worry, anxiety, then they probably haven't given all their problems to God. I'm not making light of that. It is very difficult to trust that God will find a way. It is very difficult. I got bills to pay. I got a life to live. I got relationships to mend. But I know God will prepare a way. Just like in the Bible of Isaiah, God prepares the way in the desert. I don't know how God's going to do it. It's so trust, to, so hard to trust God. It's difficult to say to God, here are my problems. I really don't expect you to solve them, so I'll continue to worry. I'll continue to stay up at night in a way that you can solve them, God. Yet, let go. Trust God to recommit our lives, to know that there are no problems that God cannot solve, and that God is probably better at solving my own problems than I am. And so at this beginning of Advent season, we have a choice. We can wither away with anxiety with the rest of the world, or we can wait expectantly. We can bury our fears in our sleep, or we can wake up and watch the horizon of the dawning of a new day. We can crawl into those caves of despair where it's safe and dark, or we can find our ways to the halls of hope. We can give up and settle for whatever little of this world, or we can work diligently for the salvation of the world, trusting that God will complete our work, will make us whole and abundance. All of this work takes reflection. It doesn't just happen. You will miss the mark if you don't stop and reflect on what God has brought you through. You will miss the point. My friends, this Advent season, we are called to embrace the darkness. That is the tough challenge because we don't want to embrace darkness. To trust in the promise, to watch for the flicker of light off of that Advent flame and to wait for the sure coming of God in new and unexpected ways.
And while we wait and while we watch, we are called to wait in hope, proclaiming that God is in charge and that one day, that one day that kingdom will come to fullness. What a glorious day that will be for you and for me. Amen.